So I'm Brainiac, Matthew Turner with The Matrix Minds. You are tuning in to the Enlightenment Evolution Hour, hosted by my friend Rob Gothier, the E.T. Whisperer. Don't go anywhere, Brainiac. Welcome to the Enlightenment Evolution Hour. I am your host, Rob Gothier, the E.T. Whisperer. The Enlightenment Evolution Hour is a part of the Enlightenment Evolution Network. Any ideas or opinions expressed by myself, the guest, or a caller may not necessarily reflect the same opinions of the Enlightenment Evolution Network. Enlightenment defined, it's the state of giving and receiving greater knowledge and understanding about a certain subject or situation. Evolution defined, the gradual development of something especially from a simple to a more complex form. So what then is Enlightenment Evolution? The state of giving and receiving greater knowledge as we develop from a simple to a more complex human being living on Earth for our soul's experience. Welcome now and join us as we explore our Enlightenment Evolution Hour together. Everybody, welcome to the Enlightenment Evolution Hour. I am your host, Rob Gothier, the ET Whisperer. The Enlightenment Evolution Hour is, of course, uh, part of the Enlightenment Evolution Network and is live-streamed simulcast on the Enlightenment Evolution Hour Facebook page, the Matrix Mind Media page on Facebook, as well as this YouTube channel, the ET Whisperer. Welcome, welcome, everyone, after these shows are live streamed then they are put uh from both this show and our entire network are placed on conscious awakening network which is an amazing uh, internet network uh and also forbidden knowledge news network which is an amazing network uh we're we're getting everywhere guys we're we're going everywhere um and we appreciate uh Matthew Turner for letting us use the matrix mind media to simulcast on doing it live I want to tell you guys first, real quick, uh, some announcements before we get to our wonderful guest, Ruben Langdon, a dear friend of mine. Many of you know him as the interview with Extra Dimensionals guy. He's the one who created the show. Uh, a lot of you who are newer to my channeling in the last three or four years have come via that show. So many of you know him. Um, Yes, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it, brother. And I want to uh, get into the announcements before we bring in Ruben real quick, guys. Right after we're done here, 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 9 o'clock uh, Pacific, on the Matrix Mind Media, we're going to have Matthew doing his show. And this show is going to be amazing tonight. The mini, mini worlds within the astral plane. There are a lot of parts of the astral plane that are really complex, really amazing. And Matthew Turner, as always, is able to break that down, uh, give you insight from his own perspective, from his guide's perspective. Going to talk to the people around in the audience as he always has great interactions with everyone. And going to get feedback about what you think in the chat. Uh, and I think tonight might be uh, a live call-in show. It might not be. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure about that. Matthew will tell me here in the chat. Um, 
So that's 12 a.m. Sorry, not p.m. <laughs> 12 a.m. midnight. Uh, that's 9 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, so that's going to be right after this show within uh, 20 minutes. And uh, we've got next week. Yes, open lines on the Matrix Mind Media, guys. So make sure you're there after here and get a chance to call in and chat about this amazing topic. Uh, next week, we have a wonderful couple who are dear friends of mine um, who did a sculpture of Metatron for me, which is absolutely amazing. Um, Adam and Megan Homan will be here with us next week. And the week after that, we're going to have the one and only Mama Minga, who is an amazing, amazing person. She's an artist. She's a, a spiritual YouTuber. She's also a rapper. She's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things. She's going to be with us uh, the week after next. And on the 28th, the last broadcast of the year, me and Matthew Turner will be mixing together the Enlightenment Evolution Hour and Matrix Mind Media to do a farewell to the 2022 year show, which will be absolutely, absolutely amazing. So thank you, everybody who's tuning in from the YouTube and from Facebook. We appreciate you guys being here. Thank you so much, guys. Um, ET Whisper announcements are very small this this week. All, all I've got there is that the course uh, for the Healing Sexuality with Artif channeled is done. It's over, but it's going to be an evergreen course. So if you go uh, to the website, which we'll, we'll post the link in the chat and as a pinned comment uh, on all the platforms, if you go, you can still be a part of the course. Um, there's literally eight one-hour channelings about sexuality. Four of them are what Art have shared. And four of them are questions and answers from you guys, uh, from the people who originally participated while the course was going on through the uh, four weeks. So it's really amazing stuff, and it's going to be there forevermore. If you get it, you get lifetime access to it. So go check that out if you want to, guys. Now. I want to talk to you guys really quickly, too, about our guest. Um, uh, one second, too, guys. I forgot to grab one thing. Um, Ruben Langton is an amazing guy. Like I said, he's been an amazing friend. Oh, I can hear myself. Oh, I, that, never mind. I know why. Okay. Sorry, guys. Uh, so Ruben Langton, amazing guy, amazing friend. He's also an uh, international stuntman, actor, filmmaker, video game star, whose works you can see in productions like Pirates of the Caribbean, Power Rangers series, uh, which was the highest grossing film of all time, uh, Avatar. And he was a stunt double for Jake Solly's Alien Avatar, which is amazing. So if you've seen the movie Avatar and loved it, Ruben was the E.T. version of Jake Solly. So that was an amazing thing, and oh, all right. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, sorry, we had someone pop into the meeting room, and I didn't expect that. <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, so anyway, Ruben, uh, he shot to stardom when he did his video games, leading roles as Ken Masters in Street Fighter, Dante in The Devil May Cry, if you've ever played those video games. Ruben does the voices for all of that. Uh, he's worked when he was working on the James Cameron's Avatar. Ruben had his first UFO sighting, uh, and that sent him in a direction of researching UFO, UFOlogy, paranormal, and eventually 
he bumped into the channeling community and that's what got him started on an interview with Ed. So I'm going to bring Ruben in and let him share a little bit about himself. How are you doing, brother? How is everything going? I guess if I unmuted myself, it would be better. Uh, <laughs> going uh, good. That helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that helps. Uh, going good. Thanks for having me on. And it's good to uh, to be chatting in this form and fashion with you. It's been, it's been a minute. Oh, it's been a lo- it's been a long minute to to be able to do this and share. Last time uh, I came on you, you with your yeah. Uh, portal. Yeah, yeah, you came in as guest. And I'm hoping to get you back soon. I was going to ask you if we could do that at some point in the near future, but uh, today we're here. We're now. Let's let's. Uh, um, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Well, I'm glad you came today. Uh, I always like to start out each show by asking the guest, not what your story is. You've told your story a million times in a million different interviews. You've shared uh, a lot with a lot of people. Um, But what I want to share with you is that I want our listeners to get an idea of what was the person that you were before you started your journey. What uh, happened in your own journey that created the ability for you to have a journey? So you know, the things in your childhood, your young adulthood, what molded you to be the Reuben that was available and open to have your experiences? Yeah, um, I've, I've got like 10 different stories that I've told in the past, and I'm just like seeing them all merge into uh, the bigger story. Um, yeah, that's a there's a lot of angles to go on that one. Um, but basically, let me see. I would just say I had, you know, typical American dysfunctional family. Um, Dad was a a military uh, whole life and then got into law enforcement. And um, my mom was, uh, they both got married from us in a small town in Michigan. And then my mom was uh, going off in her direction with her belief system and, uh, and going in more into metaphysics and, and, and esoteric types of thinking. And with my dad going more, uh, hardcore into, uh, Christianity and exploring different, uh, aspects of that with, um, uh, even, even Catholicism, um, you know, born again Baptist. Even I think there at some point there was some exploration in that in those realms, but always sticking hard to the Christian values and just uh, in the Bible being the uh, you know the uh, the absolute truth. And then, um, but playing with different you know versions and sects of that, um, or what is it? Uh, 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 the 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 denominations denominations yeah, yeah. whatever yeah, yeah okay that's the um, one so which never really it was if it, all the different ones that I tried and went to church and did all that stuff it, it, you know similar story mm-hmm. you Rob where it just it didn't resonate and you know like a lot of it just didn't make sense to me so I was just like yeah that doesn't make sense I, I think um. I think I'll go do my, I'm going to go read a comic book. That's more interesting. <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was having that, um, that polarity um, and, and flopping back and forth 
uh, created an environment for me. So I didn't get attached to any specific one. I thought both my parents were nuts and um, just did my own thing. Uh, so, which, you know, of course they both wanted to influence me in each of their ways, but it was such a polarity and extreme on, on, um, uh, you know, at, at that young age, uh, you know, I went through the paces and went to these events with my mom and then went to, you know, went to a rebirthing class with my mom and then went go to, you know, um, uh, mass on Sunday and, you know, drink the blood of Christ. Um, so it was back and forth and, um, uh, yeah, it was, and, and then I figured out in some cases, I literally would skip Sunday school, sneak back into the car, I had a stack of comic books in the back seat, and I would just read the comic books. So I wouldn't have to go and then, and then show back up at, you know, when Sunday school's d done and like pop out of the bathroom. Oh, okay. How was Sunday school? Oh, it was great. <laughs> and, I, and I was just, uh kind of a rebel in that sense um that's so, that's a tough gig too you know getting pulled two different ways and then kind of you know expected to to have that attention focused directly on what that parent at that time wants you to focus on right then and there luckily both of them were not any like super hardcore about it it was more like um i remember my mom took me to a ramtha event um, I don't know if you, you know, you've heard a Jay-Z night story and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was the first time I cussed to my mom. I remember it was a big deal for me. I think it was a junior high school. And, uh, and after the event, they were doing C and E conscious, uh, C and E breath work, which it's crazy. Cause I just did a Wim Hof class that it's very similar <laughs> to that, but at the time, uh, you know, just picture junior high school, young me sitting in uh uh in between all these people in this giant auditorium um in the in the uh at a hotel like a, a hotel um exhibit type thing and you have all these people doing c and e and you know some of them are losing their mind in a sense or just you know they're encouraged to let it all out and you know express the emotions and stuff but here i'm a kid that just doesn't never been exposed to that and there's people screaming and breathing and it's uh, and i was like oh my god this is what is this nut house and um <laughs> and then on the drive home so i like told my, my mom i was like don't you ever effing take me to another one of these things again uh you and all your friends are a bunch of nut cases uh so <laughs> So she left me alone. It was good because then from that time on, I didn't get dragged to any more events. Um, but then, uh, but then on Sundays I was still getting dragged to church until finally I had to put my uh, foot down on that too. And so I was like, you know what? I just don't resonate and not believing in all the stuff that's coming out of that institution. So I'm just going to stay home on Sundays and read comics and play video games and, you know, that's my, that's my church. That's my religion. <laughs> so, um, but that attitude, uh, did me good. It did me good because I became, uh, at a young age, I became my own self and I believed in myself. Um, and, um, then that just led me to follow my passion and I didn't have anything pulling me any other way. I didn't have really too many people encouraging me either, which kind of sucked. But I didn't have anybody like, 
oh, you really should do this. Or, you know, maybe you should, you know, uh, get good grades and go be a doctor or a lawyer. And I didn't have any of that pressure, which was awesome. Um, I just got to be me and I survived. I may, I sold candy at school, um, for, for, so I could, uh, pay for my comic book habit and video game. Uh, uh, I was always the first kid in the block to have the latest video game system. And, uh, because I had money, I, I made money at, in, in high school selling candy and, um, working part, part-time jobs and stuff as well. But that was like, I was very resourceful for getting jobs and money so I could <laughs> just do what I wanted to do. And that led me to getting over to Japan at the age of 19. Um, I was able to get enough money together, um, went through some rough periods uh, with um, being a teenage rebellious teenage kid. I won't go into all the details, but I did get into some trouble with the law. And then um, uh, that kind of, um, helped me see things in a little bit different way. And, but it wasn't really until I got to Japan till things really kind of was like, Oh, there's a whole other different kinds of cultures that are exist out there that they respect and honor each other in the day and day, like the day to day, like they're not mean to each other. <laughs> uh, and I was like, that's gotta be a mind blowing thing at a 19 year old uh, person who's, who's lived yeah. kind of a spectral life, you know what I mean? To go into a very, um, you, you know, obviously it's not a homogenous culture, but like you said, everyone treats each other respectfully there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The surface level of Japan is, is um, there's, there's a, a you know, a, more of a honoring of the just basic code of human um, decency you know, in general, most people are just nice people, right? There's that. But uh, I have a, I, you know, the, if you go to any major cities in, um, in, in, in the world, you know, everybody's busy, everybody's kind of doing their thing. And, and um, people, you get bumped, you get pushed, you know, there's, and there's not as much courtesy, uh, at least think that, especially at that time when I was just arriving in Japan in the late 90s. Um, it was, for me, it was a big coming from, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. There was a big change <laughs> in the, in the culture for me, uh, on that, on those respects, especially just the, how everything just fit nice as far as, uh, uh, the convenience and the, um, etiquette that people have, uh, amongst themselves and respect for other people. Uh, later, you dive deep, you live there after five years, and um, you understand that uh, a lot of uh, emotion is repressed, and perhaps that system might not be the best system because of the, or, or there's got to be a way to kind of fix, go deeper. But it, so there is a lot of just surface level stuff. It looks good on the surface. It's, you get underneath it, just like anything. We all have our shadows. Yeah, it's any place you live, any job you get, anything of anything, there's always the romance uh, period for the first couple of years where everything is great and new and fresh. And then you start seeing what's underneath that layer. So that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I've talked to a few of my friends who have spent a lot of time in Japan. And uh, one of them actually used to do workshops for uh, sexual healing with people because of the uh, sexual repression that, that tends to be uh, 
kind of in, in the older Japanese culture. And he worked yeah. there, you know, during the 90s-ish time. So uh, I know things have changed a lot since then still, but... Yeah, it's it's definitely still uh, it's a deeper wound than even in our American culture, and and, and we have that we you know we have uh, oppression of women and um, sexual misconducts, and if you think you know it exists in our culture, but it's existed in Japan even longer, right? So it's a big wound that needs to be healed and, and attention uh, put put there, um, and a lot of that goes. It's it's a harder wound. It's a deeper wound because um, a big part of the culture, uh, that conformity culture in the sense of, um, you know, collectively being uh, harmonious, which I love and it's great. And this is why, you know, all the gaijin and all the foreigners that go to Japan fall in love with it immediately. Nobody has anything bad to say about Japan because um, it's just a joy to be even in the cities. Um and with so many people, there's this this common respect that people have uh, for each other in general. I'm just, this is a super generalization, um, but that's it's very nice. We don't get that in these other cities, as I was saying earlier. But um, but yeah, there's a there's a wound for sure that needs to be healed on the surface. Oh, I, I remember I was gonna say. Um, so the in America, we're sort of. Um, you know, we're quick to call things out quicker than perhaps these other cultures. And in Japan, there's the saying that if the nail sticks out, beat it down. And and that's true. So that's it's hard for the individual in Japan to stand up. And, and there's a lot of um, uh, uh, issues surrounding that. And that's that's where, uh, you know, I think we want to uh, if there's one thing the West can help. Uh, the, the the east is with their individuality and how to find balance and we can learn a thing or two about overdoing our uh individualism to where it becomes a burden on uh society and others and we could you know we could find that harmony between the two cultures i think that would that would be awesome yeah they well the, that's the thing uh the earth has a lot of pockets of greatness and uh, it's for different reasons and you know I, nobody at least in my perspective, nobody I know who's a free thinker, uh, who's an explorer of consciousness would want homogenization to happen on a large level of the earth. You know, we don't want to all be the same thing or, or do the same thing. But I think okay. you're right. These types of separation and culture can teach each other a lot of things. And uh, as <laughs> as rough as it is in, in America to deal with uh, people sometimes, um, because of that, you know, energy about everybody needing to be an individual so much that they become groups of <laughs> you know, all of this stuff, uh, yeah. it still does have a great strength. So mm. you're in Japan. And what did this teach you? What did this give you as a person uh, that kind of opened you up to be the Ruben that you are now? What, what, what did you learn in Japan that you needed to be there for? Because you spent a long time there. Yeah, so so I you know a big influence of, of 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 me even going to Japan was the martial arts, the in martial art films and you know Power Rangers. Um, you know, I was very much into comics and video games, but uh, the Power Ranger phenomenon definitely had its influence on me as well. Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan and all the Hong Kong cinema at that time too for me was was really um, 
I, I was really excited about seeing what just watching the how amazing that craft was uh, or is and and just fascinated. So um, when I got to Japan, it was no longer this far away concept. Um, there were martial arts like I didn't have to drive really far to to a martial arts studio to to find really talented martial artists. Um, you know, there's dojos on every corner in a sense. It's like uh, Starbucks. You can find find uh, uh, some sort of uh, karate gym or or um, martial Aikido. You know, there's a number of different Japanese martial arts. Aikido and karate being the two most prevalent. And then I, I had a little bit of a Aikido background um, from a few lessons back in the States. So right away I found an Aikido, um, an opportunity to take Aikido locally. So I hopped on it and, uh, started getting my butt kicked and found a different, a deeper, um, honoring of tradition in the sense of the martial arts in, in Asia compared to America. So in America, you know, how we like the fast food, everything, um, there's there is a lot of fast food martial arts in america oh yeah <laughs> that is, i've been a part of some <laughs> yeah yeah so um so this the quality of the martial arts um that that i was getting um uh, exposed to in japan was more focusing on tradition and basics and um and and uh the and we definitely have that, you know, mo I think most martial art instructors try to bring in that, that into the, that energy, that, that Eastern uh, discipline and, and um, commitment and honor and, you know, all the things that come with martial arts, they try to bring that in, but it's really serious in Japan. Like we, you can't joke around that stuff uh, uh, in, in so much uh, out there as you can hear or bypass those kinds of things. So that just that coming to know about that, about the history and about the, the Marshall way, um, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a, it's its own philosophy. It's its own um, uh, religion in a sense. So that, that became my religion. Uh, I really, uh, um, you know, uh, harmonized or sunk up with those ideas in the training and physically, you know, I, I wanted to transform myself, uh, because I saw this action cinema stuff that just really got me excited. And I hadn't had that training in the past, but, um, I just believed, I believed in myself. I believe that, you know, if I, if I, uh, you know, I'm in the best place to learn that stuff. You know, there's, uh, so just give it all I got. And I did. Um, and I got into, um, doing like modeling and commercial work out in Japan just to pay the bills. And then I think I fell in love with that. I, the idea of acting and performing and then my love for martial arts. So it just made sense that, yeah, I wanted to be an action hero. That was my, <laughs> <laughs> those two uh uh things merged and uh and if you had asked me that in high school and i would have said no way are you crazy 
just to be in front of a camera or to uh, to even you know have the uh, physical ability to even perform any of the uh, stunts or action that I was uh, a big fan of like it it would it didn't even it, I was so far off the mark at that point and I was really far off the mark I had to it took many years of training and um, dedication to get to a place to where I was able to kind of cheat it a little bit and get get in. Uh, and work on projects with, you know, the big, the big guys, Jackie Chan and um, Sammo Hong and some of the, the action greats. And that's amazing. And, and the thing about your experience that I really enjoy is that you went off to this place that you knew very little about. And, and I forget. Oh, I knew a lot about it. I had been studying it every waking hour of my life. That was, I was, um, you know, I, I was brain, not brainwashed, but in a sense, I was just everything that was Japanese. I couldn't get enough of it. So I was studying every day. I was trying to study the language even before I left. So I knew a lot, but I didn't know anybody there and I didn't know what I was going to do. So all that stuff had to kind of happen. Yeah, you had an educated guess through that, but getting there was yeah. was probably a, a whole different story from the way you perceived it going. Um, I would imagine just getting yeah. there and and getting that new experience. Um, I and I can't remember too. Uh, was it a job that brought you over there eventually? No, no. It just was my desire to explore and see that country. Um, what helped ease the 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 blow was. So I, I used to work at um, the duty-free shops at the Atlanta airport. And um, I, a friend of mine introduced me to the job and he's like, yeah, all these, you know, all these uh, uh, Japanese airline uh, customers come through and, you know, it's cool. Maybe you could practice some of your Japanese. I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. So, <laughs> so I was, I, I learned how to, you know, count and say some basic things and uh, couldn't, carry on a conversation, but just had some basic uh, language skills that I would be able to practice. But also uh, the late, some of the ladies that I'd worked with, um, they were always like, so curious. like, Ruben, why are you so interested in Japan? That's so, so weird, you know? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I am. And, um, and I hope to go someday and I really want to go. And it's like a big dream in my life. And they're like, well, we'll help you. So they wrote out on, on my um, register, a little sign whenever we had the Japanese airline flights come through. So I'd post this sign on my register that says, you know, they wrote it out for me, but it is in Japanese. And it said, um, you know, young, young boy looking for opportunities to get to Japan and like a homestay type situation or work for stay or, you know, something, uh, uh, intern opportunities or whatever, what, you know, whatever the language it was, but generally it was saying that. And, um, then so for months go by and people read the sign and they look at me and they smile and they're like, Oh, you want to go to Japan? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anything else? Give me anything else. And they, uh, they just smile and walk away. I'm like, ah, okay. So um, after months of doing that one day, the one day I'm not at work, I, f I forgot the sign. I left it posted on the register. So it, it stayed up there. And, um, 
uh, apparently this guy saw it uh, because I, the, when I finally went to work, um, you know, all the ladies were excited. These are older uh, Japanese ladies who married American soldiers and then ended up coming back to the States. So here I am, you know, this young kid that's interested in their culture and wants to go. So they're all excited. They're like, wow, somebody's interested in us, in our culture. Let's, um, so they were very um, encouraging and, and uh, very sweet um, and always trying to help and look for opportunities. So they were all excited and yelling and like, wow, um, you know, we, somebody came yesterday and, and they, this is your chance. You might be able to get to Japan. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they give me this guy's card. Um, and he's like, yeah, you, you know, we told him your story and he's, he gave us your, his business card and said to give him a call and maybe he can help you out. And, um, I was like, Oh, okay. So I called him and he was basically said, yeah. So, you know, what was that thing on your register? Okay. Well, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't know what I can do, but I, I, I'm the head of this army base, uh, out, out just outside of Tokyo. And, uh, whenever you decide to come, just you know, maybe you can give me a call. Maybe I can help you out. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. All right. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. Um, so, and I hadn't, it, many months go by. And then when I finally get to Japan, I'm, I ended up sleeping at the airport first two nights. Uh, Cause I was just terrified of the, just walking down in the train station uh, with all the train lines. And, and this is a guy who didn't have a reservation at a hotel. I didn't have anything. I was like, I'm just going to go to Japan. I just arrived <laughs> at the airport. And I'm like, now what am I going to do? So I walked down into the train station. It just looks, it's all in Japanese is before they put the English in there. These days they have English, but um, I just was like, uh Oh, what did I get myself into? And um, go back upstairs. I'm hanging out and sleeping on the, on the uh, benches <laughs> and the, they're asked, you know, please stop me and like passport, passport. Okay. What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm just waiting for my luggage. Okay. You know, so they left me alone. <laughs> um, so, uh, so finally, I, you know, I call my mom, I tell her, uh, I'm, I'm at the airport and she's like, well, are you going to call that guy? And I said, I, I guess so. <laughs> Nothing else. And I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I called the guy and he, uh, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember you. Um, he's like, yeah, well, there's a bus you can hop on and it'll take you right to our camp and, um, to our base and, and I'll meet you off on the, off the bus. And I was like, oh, that was easy. And that's what I did. And then the adventure started. Um, and I ended up living there for five years. Jeez, that's, that is just filled with synchronicities of <laughs> needing to be excited, needing to put your energy in, knowing the right people who would support you, and the action. <laughs> it's <laughs> manifestation 101 in a bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was very lucky at a young age to learn the formula without listening to Bashar or anybody else. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> got it through, through what, what worked. And, and I, and I, and I maintained that pretty much throughout my life. I did get side stripe, you know, side swapped a little bit here and there and got off the path. Uh, but you're never really off the path. You just learn, you need, those are some hard lessons you need to learn. And, um, and then you're back on, but, um, but yeah, that was, uh, going to Japan and then being able, and then becoming, uh, you know, working with guys like Jackie Chan and, um, James Cameron on avatar and, and that whole experience. Um, it just, you know, it, it was following, I was following the formula and I, and I didn't even know it. 
Someone in chat also asked, how many forms of martial arts uh, did you learn or practice? I practiced all of them. <laughs> um, the, I never really became a black belt in anything. I, I just studied a lot of my, my passion was film fighting. So, uh, so I would watch, you know, Jet Li, Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, Bruce Lee, uh, you know, the greats. And, you know, and then in Japan you had, you know, Kuda Yasaki, Sonichiba, all these guys who are, you know, these great action stars of, of all time. And, uh, I studied what, what worked and i was like well what what are they doing oh it's karate but it's not really karate it's it's movie karate uh is you know, like kurata's base right it's but he's still got the hong kong rhythms what is that oh well there's a you know jackie's doing the the kung fu fighting but then he goes and he does uh you know gorgeous which is like all boxing based uh martial arts and, and kickboxing stuff so it's like oh okay well let's let's try that let's make can i do a scene so I can convince people that I'm a boxer. So let's go study boxing for a few months um, and get all the basics down and, you know, and understand the movement so I can deliver if I have to be a box, play the role of a boxer or, you know, fight as a, a as a boxer or if I'm as a fight choreographer, have to train an, uh, an actor to be to look good as in a boxer, I better know enough about boxing to be able to do that. So you go and, you, you know, I would go and train myself and train with others in those different modalities as they would come. So I've dabbled in pretty much everything. That's, inc that's incredible. When you said you started with Aikido, I actually mm -hmm. smiled because that's the reason I got into martial arts with uh, all of the Steven Seagal films. I just thought <laughs> yeah, it looked yeah, so was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was the time. That was yeah, it. So uh, I I couldn't get any Aikido uh, or Aikido Yoshikai in in Michigan. So the next mm. best thing was the Korean version Hapkido. Oh, Hapkido. Uh, and I got myself almost to a black belt on that too. Um, nice, you know, McDonald's style, fast food style, but it's still <laughs> it still learned a lot of yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, uh, actually, Hapkido is as uh, I'm more of a fan of that than Aikido. Um, I got to train with. A uh, good friend, Bruce, Bruce Khan, who uh, was the Hapkido champion of Korea at some point years ago. And, and he became a good um, friend and, and uh, training partner. And he taught me tons of, of um, the old school Hapkido stuff, like the stuff that's supposed to break bones, not all that fast food stuff. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that was the way he, he would even, he would talk about it. He's like, I do original Hapkido. <laughs> it's funny. Bruce is awesome. We've yeah, got a guest coming in a couple week, weeks. Mama Minga, she's going to be the week after next. And she just said she loved Hapkido when she trained. So that's three people on there the show go. that have all done Hapkido. We're going to have to have a Hapkido only episode <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll bring Bruce in. See if he's still around. Um, Heck Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a, a, a good buddy who um, over the years, you know, I was super uh, blessed by having these amazing teachers that sort of kept me in line, you know, always kept me from getting too, uh, too big for my britches in the sense of, 
you know, you know, here I'm striving, I'm going to do all this stuff and I want to do this. And I was a pusher. So I was trying to, to push a lot of times um, when my physical ability wasn't good enough to get to be uh, in some of the positions. Like there's some really physically talented people out there. And I'm just some, you know, video game playing kid from Atlanta that uh, somehow was able to stumble upon this amazing world of fight choreography and action. And because of my passion uh, and my lack of uh, <clears throat> anybody telling me no, got into some really amazing positions, like um, being able to work with Jackie Chan and, and Samuel and work on Power Rangers and other things. Like physically, there was way more talented people than than what I was. But I spoke the language. And I think that's sort of the metaphor I want to try to tie that into, you know, our, our basic, what we're, you know, what you and I are about and what some of the lessons we're trying to teach <clears throat> and share is um, it, it, a lot of this, a lot of what we do in life is speaking the language. And, and I don't know if I'm going to lose you. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this, but um, uh, I think there's a physically doing it. There's speaking the language and then there's both, if you can do it both, but it's almost kind of like, um, if you're super like, okay, uh, here's a good example. <clears throat> you could be the best coder in the world and, and just make, you know, gen genius, um, uh, code and, and, and programs and everything else. But if you're just, um, cooped up in your room doing that all day and nobody sees your work, you need, you need, you're, you kind of need that middleman to, to, find the genius to be able to communicate the genius to the rest of the world. <clears throat> mm, and, yes. and, uh, and I was a pretty good communicator. I wasn't quite the genius, but I was a good communicator. And then I realized if you, if you're a good communicator, you can still um, find your way to the genius. If that makes sense. Um, it does. So, so using uh, it's kind of reverse engineering is a, you know, a lot of ways I look at the I look at reality from that perspective. From how how can I reverse engineer this situation or where are we at or you know untangle the the cords and get the bird's eye view of everything. So that <clears throat> that's that can still get you a long way. It can't get you to do the double backflip off of the you know uh stunt thing you know i can do a quarter uh, one and a quarter but i can't do the triple right but there's guys out there that can do the triple i don't need to do the quarter I, one and a half is enough because i have my other skills and i learned how to hone those other skills that are still just as much as a value in um in 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 uh action choreography so what i learned was how to again speak the language of action cinema and I was good enough in the other areas. And I, and I, I figured out that other people were not putting their attention in those areas. So the type of, uh, for the demand of, of people who have those other skills, I was still a commodity, right? So I'm, so I'm figuring out where I fit in the, in the puzzle and in the reality. Of course, I wanted to do the triple backflip, but, 
Uh, everybody wants to do this. Everybody wants it. Yeah, but you, you know, you can only do what you can do. So, so you 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 find the the missing gap in you know what's what's needed. Like, oh, there's not that many. There's in fact at that time there was no other white guys, you know, that that could speak that language uh, in the action community uh, to that level. Yeah, uh, and and literally the language I'm talking not physically, of course, plenty of really gifted people. Uh, white guys uh, that that could physically do anything that Asian guys could do, but there was another aspect to to what they were doing that I had sort of an in on, with it. and that and that was the the whole action cinema language, and uh, I used that. I used it to um, develop a company and develop um, uh, projects and and get my foot in the door in the action cinema world. In, in the States as well in video games. And uh, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like you were saying, a lot of people doing the triple backflips, but they only have an in-home pool and you were doing the one and a half out in public and being <laughs> able to, to get it known to people. And and that makes a lot of sense though. We, we do that a lot in our lives in a lot of areas. And I definitely want to uh, talk to you too um, about community uh, because that's a, a, a lot of where this energy ties in but before we do see you've got all of these things done in your life you you're now an ingrained part of that community you're working hard on the action sequence uh, fighting the video games and this takes you up to the place where uh, things shifted for you towards the interview with ads this is where um you know, and, and I know we don't have to spend a ton of time covering it just because I know a lot of people have heard us talk about it on previous shows or have heard you talk about it on the millions of interviews you've done. But how did you get from being the stunt double from the avatar to, oh, my God, we can talk to ETs directly? I mean, that's a heck of a jump, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it was. <laughs> but definitely the, the experience in Avatar helped me um, be in that frequency and that vibration. So, uh, so I, then I could attract the next steps. So, so, um, you know, it's not, so if, if people want to, you know, call in the aliens and the, you know, at the CE5s, that's one way, but you could literally go dress up and be an alien and, and pretend what it's <laughs> to be like an alien. And you're, you're all of a sudden you're attracting aliens. Um, I, I think that's the, that was the, um, that's what called it in. Uh, that and at simultaneously, while I was working on Avatar, learning uh, the ways of the indigenous, as the Navi were based off of uh, all these—not just one, but many of the indigenous cultures of the planet, which have very uh, tons of similarities in their cultures and beliefs, and even in their jewelry. And there's, it's you know, even different continents still have you know the the whole pyramid thing, right? Why are all these different cultures building the pyramids? So. Um, so learning about that, playing those roles, um, simultaneously, YouTube gets launched and um, St Dr. Stephen Greer's um, Disclosure Project link gets sent to me. And I'm in the backstage of Avatar where we're waiting for the computers to get fixed. Um, there's a lot of that. And myself and some of the cast and crew were, and other stunt people were like, what is going on here? There was a hearing on ETs. Uh, there was, uh, and then the uh, Zeitgeist comes out around the same time, and we're watching that. Um, 
in addition to you know tons of cat videos but uh of course the, youtube's a prime <laughs> prime example of their startups and cat videos yeah plus. yeah yeah that was uh those were back in the day so we're all getting our mind blown and um and then i'm just not like becoming a hardcore researcher or anything, but just getting enough of my feet wet to start questioning reality and like, what is going on here? You know, and I'm, you know, and I'm playing this thing. And then it was uh, in 2007, as I say, in the opening of, of interview with Ed, um, I had my sort of first conscious sighting, uh, which was, uh, you know, I, I say it's like a fleet, but it was, it was several craft in the sky just hovering there for a good, you know, 35, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I don't remember the exact time, but it was around that time. And um, that sent me on the spiral of, of trying to figure out what is reality, what, what are these things coming and going, and um, eventually signing up for a uh, CE5 um, event with Stephen Greer in 2010 in Rio Rico, Texas and or no i'm sorry arizona and uh near the border of mexico kind of and uh having that experience uh starting my own c5 um uh on my own and with some friends and continuing to see things and call them in and 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 confirm that the phenomenon is real and then doing my own research and just trying to figure things out and, and eventually producing the citizen area in 2013 and uh, holding screenings and documentaries uh, at my uh, visual effects studio that I was um, producing video game content out of, and but really getting pulled deeper and deeper into these uh, the UFO um, phenomenon questioning, and and then eventually um, Daryl and Wendy Kennedy and uh, Nora all came to my ET meetup group meetings and during conversations with uh, Wendy one night after um, after uh, we, we did our meeting uh, and, and these meetings were mostly in the political field of, of uh, they call it exopolitics, right? Um, um, the ET phenomenon and and how and this led up to the, to us producing the hearings, but um, we'd have monthly meetings on the subject and inviting uh, anybody in the, in the Hollywood industry to kind of come and just hang out and share their experiences. And, and sometimes we have special guests like Richard Dolan and um, uh, some of the former members of Congress, um, Mike Gravel came when he was still alive and we do other screenings like uh, I would, was big into researching free energy and showing um how we had marco roden over and um randy powell came to the office to talk about vb uh vbm and um, vortex-based math and shared different devices and potential yeah i was deep in it so i was <laughs> doing all this uh stuff so but that was the transition uh eventually producing the show interview with ed after hearing wendy's story so it was um that kind of takes you up to where I am at now, where I've sort of left a lot of that world, especially since COVID hit, um, just because it's gone completely bonkers. Uh, and we're, we're all seeing it, those who are paying attention to the Hollywood madness. And uh, and it's nice. I'm, I'm away from it and I'm focusing on my own projects and it's a really good place to be. 
Yeah, well, this is a lot of people who found my channeling found it through the interview with Ed, uh, as a lot of channelers on there, uh, I'm sure, have shared that, that equal uh, uh, uptick in curiosity about their channeling specifically because of your show. So this, awesome. you, you were deep in that field of ET, exopolitics, um, you know, relations in the government, uh, TFO, and this brought you out of that whole area. You know, you left uh, the Hollywood scene. Now you're, you're living up in the mountains in California. And mm -hmm. uh, this, this is where the world starts turning, right? And we've talked about a lot of times with a lot of guests on the show about 2019 being one of the bigger shifts in the collective. And as you remember, uh, when you and me and, and Artif and Treb have talked about stuff, um, Treb and Artif have always shared, you know, 2012 and nine years after, nine years before, it's it's all a big mm -hmm. cycle. So we knew 2020, 2021 was coming a long time before it ever came. Um, mm -hmm. Were you prepared for how the shift took place? Were you prepared to see how it unfolded on, on the earth uh, as this gigantic shift just kind of hits everyone at once in 2018, 2019, 2020? Um, I don't think you can ever be absolutely prepared because you don't know what you're preparing for. But I was definitely a prepper in the sense that um, I had through, you know, my deep dives into government and researching, you know, the, the zeitgeist stuff, 9-11, you know, all, all your typical um, laundry list of, of conspiracies, JFK assassination, uh, Roswell crash, you know, the whole lot. Um, then you quickly understand, uh, at least for me at that time, before Bitcoin was even created, um, I got to understand the financial system and how it worked. And I started researching uh, global economics and, you know, all of the, you know, Thrive came out around that time and Foster did a deep dive into the banking uh, groups and families and even mentioned a digital dollar in Thrive One. If you listen to it, the, you know, microchipped sort of digital branding and all that stuff. Um, fascinating film. And, still holds up today so uh so i was getting educated and all that stuff and kind of realizing oh we don't have very long before the whole the economy the u.s dollar the ponzi scheme is up and i started prepping in that sense so um my mountain home which is my full-time home now at that time when i was in la i was sort of like okay i'm gonna look into getting uh just an out of the city home just in case you know one it's nice on the weekends and uh two it, it's uh probably you know just in case um and uh and then it was really in 2016 before everything happened that i kind of was able to realize to to uh live in my big bear home full time and just pop down into uh the city for um for work when when needed so i was kind of already exiting and i had already produced my show and was getting views on gaia and um so i was starting to exit the matrix so to sense the hollywood matrix <laughs> um and uh not becoming as dependent you know being being deep in you know if you're a working actor or stuntman you you pretty much have to live in la and and just be ready to flow from project to project so yeah you gotta um, come quick when they call don't you 
Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of already ex exiting that, working on a limited basis, just here and there, mostly video game stuff. So, uh, so when it hit, uh, of course, I wasn't like, oh, I knew it. It was, you know, I was like, what the hell is going on? Just like everybody else. And um, when that, you know, it's just two weeks to flatten the curve. And then, you know, then it's now we're going into, you know, week three, week four. And you're just like, OK, come on. All right. This is this is starting to get really suspicious. And um, uh, I had already purchased a greenhouse that I had not put together. So I was like, OK, we're locked down. We're going to be in this for the long run. This is something I knew I was going to have to learn how to do at some point is to grow my own food. So now's the time. So put the greenhouse up and my wife and I started planting and um, that that started the next phase. Yeah. Of, of like, OK, we're gonna, this is I, I kind of knew intuitively that's where we were going to be headed. I didn't know it was going to happen in such a short amount of time and, you know, and how the the our day-to-day -day life would be affected to move us into that direction so it's just interesting to observe and be like oh this is how we're going to get there <laughs> <laughs> well the the thing that i loved about watching you communicate with the greater public in the last couple of years has been your drive to uh, forge communities wherever you are there's no place uh too isolated or too populated where you can't communicate with your neighbors you can't come into the town meetings city halls uh sheriff's office wherever you can go where there's other people at and start sharing with them the things that you're seeing in your community um yeah because what i've noticed is the federal government in the united states uh really kind of took a lot of things in their hands and then the state governments kind of took the rest and they were governing uh like here in michigan the mm -hmm. the governor acted on behest of detroit and grand rapids but 95 percent of you know 60 percent of the population but 95 percent of the land mass was not detroit and was not grand rapids and and didn't have people living on top of each other uh, left and right, and most of the places were very uh, conservative, while while the government and the high population centers were very liberal. Right. Um, so they made <clears throat> laws that didn't make sense. They they said you can't sell seeds, you can't go on a boat if you're alone on the Great Lakes, which are the largest freshwater lakes in in the world. Um, you know, like sixty some percent of all freshwater on surface comes from the Great Lakes, but you can't right. go on a boat three miles out by yourself. So these laws are really what? making a lot of people upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was insane. Good. People and, should be upset. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, people started coming together with their communities. Uh, a lot of sheriffs said, you know, we are not, we, we have like 20,000 people in our whole county. We're not living to the standards of people who are living on top of each other. And, and on and on it went. So you saw these groups of people kind of breaking off, doing their own thing. And, and yep. this is what you advocate for. If something isn't working for you that a higher level power has, has dictated to you, you know, like, hey, everyone has to stay in their homes, but you live in the mountains <laughs> with people who are yeah. mostly outside all the time. Um, so, so how did you start approaching people to share with them what you were seeing? Did you just walk up to them and start talking or did you start integrating yeah. into these systems? 
Well, I went door to door in my neighborhood. I'm like, hey, guys, first of all, you, <laughs> you know, uh, just to make sure that because there's a lot there's some elderly people in my neighborhood. And, you know, just to make sure that resources are and everybody's taken care of, mm, especially yeah. in a lockdown type situation, you want to make sure everybody has what they need. So yeah. that was the first the first round was like, everybody good. You guys good. All right. And then just that, that was the icebreaker. So now I've got the permission slip to keep checking, you know, if they didn't throw me out and say, don't come back, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go, let's, you know, and then, and then it just became, you know, every time we're out checking the mail or, you know, I hear somebody's cutting the lawn or whatever, you know, you just pop your head over the fence and like, Hey, what's the latest, you know, and then you, then you're, then you've got your neighborhood, you know, and, everybody's talking to each other and everybody's sharing uh, ideas and perspectives. And of course, not everybody sees everything eye to eye, but, um, but the main thing is just having that dialogue and having uh, and, and letting people know just out of courtesy what you're doing. So, you know, I started building and doing stuff in my backyard. So I'm like, okay, neighbors, you know, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I want to be respectful, you know, I'm gonna, and let them know what I have planned and to see if I'm going to get any objections, you know, that's, uh, that's the way people used to do it. I don't know what's, what's happened to the world where we don't talk to our neighbors anymore. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, life happens to most people. That's what happens. But we had the opportunity to sort of quiet life down for, for during that lockdown period. So, uh, or shutdown. Um, so that was a good, um, opportunity to go meet the neighbors, I thought, and, 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 uh, and, you know, kept the dialogue going and, and still to this day, you know, I'm very, it's a, uh, feel, I feel like the relationship is, is just getting stronger as we share and, you know, you continue to check on your neighbors and, um, and when they know that you're, you know, looking out for their well being, uh, then the, you don't, of course, you don't have ex- expectations that they're going to, do do that in return but it's just kind of becomes a, a natural given you know when you you watch somebody's back they're gonna watch your back you know that's how that's humans <laughs> that's what we do yeah we, we're a very social species and, and totally. a lot of people forget that um i think that's that's kind of why we're at the state of the world we are and why it was so easy for governments to kind of just implement what they wanted to if they would have tried that back in the 80s it never would have flew right um yeah but it, now people, the millennial generation has grew up uh, with devices in their hands from young childhood and the internet sucks people in, uh, video games can suck people in and create this kind of self-sustaining world where uh, companionship can be had in a very superficial way. And I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not dissing the internet, the internet's beautiful, does a lot, of, it's allowing us all to do this right now, right. but just like chocolate you know you have too much it's a problem uh you know cocaine people can go out and do it once a month and be happy but if they do it every day they're going to be a junkie and that happens right yeah, yeah. It, it's the hard reality of, of earth it's overindulgence but the the thing is i think that separation of the family becomes the separation of the neighborhood becomes the separation of the local governments states blah 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 it snowballs uphill um and it, it did that fast and you know from the time we we were in our 20s you know uh, late teens early 20s in the 90s 
to the 2010s, everything changed. Everything. Mm -hmm. The generations uh, above and below also shifted a lot in the way they saw things and, and experienced things. So you, you went out to do what you knew worked from your childhood, from your young adulthood, you know, community, yeah. communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, that was just, uh, just been in that way of life, you know, for, for a good majority of my life. And, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it always works. It's always worked for me. So I'm like, okay, if it's not broken, let's just do it. <laughs> let's just do what works. <laughs> Common sense. Communication works. Why, why would you not communicate? Um, and unless, you know, obviously, uh, unless you're afraid and you're scared and you, uh, don't, you know, you, you, you're told by, you're buying into the narrative of the media that was, everybody was getting shoved down their throats that, you know, um, six feet separation, you're going to kill grandma, you know, the, the whole laundry list of, of goofiness. Um, so luckily these more rural areas kind of don't, they kind of have a little bit more of a community minded, you know, listen to your neighbor and, uh, it's different. It's a different attitude in the cities. You know, there's a lot of things are more compact. People are on, you learn to disconnect because you're so, your space is, is limited. So you, to, to, um, uh, keep your sanity in a lot of ways, you learn to just cut yourself off and, and create your little box. So you're not absorbing, uh, energetically, you're absorbing everybody's energy, right? So you're, uh, it's almost like living in the city. It's the survival mechanism uh, that you have to have to live in the city, just to energetically be sane. Um, so that creates that, that uh, separation by default. And then um, something like COVID, the COVID pandemic happens. And then you're now you're, you know, you're, you're the most susceptible to it. Um, and especially that narrative, you know, that they, you know, you're the, the, the idea you're going to get close to somebody and it's going to, you're going to die or you're going to kill somebody else. So that is, um, talk about the, the worst place to be in something with a narrative like that. And it, it and they, you know, humanity got, got duped, fell for it. Well, and this this is the thing that really bugged me when everything first started happening. Um, you know, I'm like one of the only people I know who lives in North America who had a box of, of uh, uh, doctor masks in my house before the pandemic happened. My son almost died twice w with a flu, right? Right, right, right? So every time one of us was sick, we stayed away from him. We wore the mask if we had to get close to him, and we washed our hands, you know, with the gel, the uh, hand sanitizer stuff, and, you know, made sure we weren't coughing on our, you know, the basic stuff that you need to do. True. And never once after I started implementing those rules and regulations had he gotten sick. As long as he wasn't right on top of everybody and we weren't breathing on each other's heads, we were okay. Right. Um, so when that started shifting and then the the science behind the mask started shifting and stuff like that it was very weird for me because I'd been living this for a decade sure. or more, you know, yeah. this, this was my whole, you know, uh, transmissible disease and, and, and flu and, and viruses. That was kind of something I knew 
a lot about on protocol because I went to the the websites to look for it. And the CDC was telling me how to do it 10 years before. Just now they, they shifted everything. And that's what I think made most people who became skeptics skeptical when they were paying attention to how many things shifted so quickly. And I know that in any situation, information moves and it has to especially with unknowns, but the drastic nature of the things that we already knew that we knew that wasn't supposed to shift. None of that was, you know? So it was very concerning. It brought up a lot of red flags for myself, a lot of other people. Um, What about the people you talked to when you went out in your community and you started saying, Hey, how are you doing? Everybody? Okay. What was their reaction to the protocols? Were they just like, oh, well, we've got to be safe? Or were they like, no, something something doesn't smell right here? It, it was, <clears throat> I think most people just, yeah, just didn't, didn't feel, they felt something was off. But, you know, there were still some people that, to take the precaution, they weren't sure. So, you know, and you want to respect their space too. You don't want to get in there. So I cautiously, you know, would walk up to um, one of my neighbors and, and that so they don't uh, feel too scared or anything. But um, uh, no, everybody, I think for the most part, just people were, um, we, we knew, you know, we just wanted to get each other's backs in, in case there was, you know, shortages in the stores. That, I think mountain communities kind of have that. You know, we've had evacuations from fires and different things. So the, the, the community, there's, there's a different feeling in the mountains um, when you're sort of is, isolated. And, and, you, and there's even some, you know, they call the people from down, down below, they call them the flatlanders, right? So it's, um, there's this sort of like, and just in that camaraderie kind of sense, there's this, um, there's a community, you know, even though we're still a large, you know, we're like 10,000 people up here. But, um, but still, because it's, there's a separation, there is a more of a community sense in the, I would say in your typical rural area of, of America or, or something like that, um, just by default. And, uh, so everybody was kind of open. And then, um, there's some other groups. We, I went to a lot of different meetings and I was trying to meet as many different groups up here as I could just to understand where the headspace was and to be prepared. Cause at that time, I mean, we, there was, things were shifting so quickly. Um, and especially with the jab and you hear about operation warp speed and they were going to come door to door with, uh, uh, you know, with <laughs> the national guard was going to Mr. Trump was like talking about that at that time. He was like talking about, yeah, the military operation warp speed. I was like, Oh, hell no. So you're going to talk to my shotgun if they're going to, you know, and, and a, a whole militia is going to have to fight the military to keep us from getting jabbed. Um, it was nuts. And then you have, you know, ha- uh, half of the world ushering it on. And then you have half the world. It was just, we were at such a divided state at that time. So it was like, okay, uh, I don't, that was in, in the greater sense. It's like what we, when you're in a community, you, you have to think immediately, uh, especially in a mountain community, okay, what happens even in natural disasters or anything else? What if we're isolated, like trucks stop and, um, you know, grocery stores aren't being um, serviced? You know, m- most people don't, that doesn't even come across their, it doesn't like their concept of that idea is not even, uh, it's there. 
but it's for mountain community, it's a little more there than not. There, most people, it's not in their idea, in their mind. But it, you do, it does cross your mind. And especially with the state of the world, you know, is as volatile as it is. These are things that um, I was thinking about for sure. And I wanted to make connections to people who also felt and thought in the same way. Uh, so finding like-minded people. And luckily, because we're in the mountains, there's a lot of like-minded people. A lot of people left the city to, to be here or they grew up in the mountains. Uh, so they're, they've, they've always sort of been um, uh, trained to or, or by birth understand these, these basics of, you know, just taking care of sovereignty. There's a certain amount of sovereignty just being in the mountains <clears throat> that you have to think about uh, because of weather and access and all these other things. So yeah, yeah it was um, easy. It was easy to find friends <laughs> and talk. Look, it's a lot like uh, communities that you're used to. Like when you get yeah. up to the Northern portions of uh, Michigan and the UP, it's a yeah. very secluded, uh, intimately woven place where each community takes care of each other and, and does so uh, naturally because of the conditions yeah. that are possible there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, makes and a lot sense. of people know each other by first name and, you know, especially the people who've been here along, we're, we're, a, um, you know, a tourist town. So we get a lot of, you know, just weekend people, but, um, but yeah, the small town feel is, is for sure there. I was at a group meeting yesterday too. And, um, uh, Kim, she puts it on Kim and Tim and they, um, they just open their house once a month to have these, these meet community meetings and to talk about things that are impacting the community. Uh, you know, we had a big, it was a big up, up roar about, um, when they were discussing, it never went through, but they, when they're discussing um, max or, or force vaxxed on kids, you know, grade in, and uh, grade school and junior high and below. And that was, uh, you had half the town that was up in arms. So, um, sure. so we were, you know, just kind of creating a, a space where we could debate and have the conversation and talk, to, you know, figure out certain things, you know, like the sheriff, when we had mask mandates or we're, we're going to get arrested for not wearing a mask, you know, then, you know, we had sheriff, uh, we talked to him and he's like, I'm not, that's against the constitution guys. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. <laughs> and then, but then he had like Karen's coming over and saying, you know, we were just in the store and this guy didn't have a mask. You're going to write him up. And then uh, it was awesome. Cause they were like, yeah, we're going to uh, you can just call this number and it's a hotline and you report any um, any uh, anybody who's who's, who's not uh, abiding by the mask law, then you can report them right away. And then uh, so it was just a, f a phone number with an answer machine that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as it should, because, again, that these these are clear violations of the Constitution. Um and yeah, you can't ask local. It was a way to keep them happy. At least they felt like they were going to be able exactly. To so that was the, that, that was the solution. So instead of creating a, um, you know, that was the third choice. There was instead of like saying, "Oh, we're not going to enforce that," and then having, you know, the the Karen get get the ruffles feathers ruffled, then you you know you yeah you can make your claim here, vent, get it out, and life goes on. <laughs> No, you don't. It's, it's it, was, it was brilliant. Um, so that is pretty so, a pretty smart move. Uh, to yeah. beat conflict. 
but but the, but it was you know a time because there was many people that were like man i don't want to do this thing but i, I don't want to get a ticket either and i want to be respectful for others but i also have to honor myself so it was a big lesson for all of us to um to push us in our uncomfort zones for whatever wherever your stance was on any of the issues there were so many issues to 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 uh, look at at the time but it was uh it was yeah, good there was a bunch to choose from there was a bunch to choose from but it was it, i think i think we needed that as a uh, uh for our evolution to kind of you know for everybody on no matter what side of whatever issue it was we all needed to take a chill pill and realize that, you know, um, most of it is, is, you know, what, what really matters, what really matters is community. What really matters is that we got each other's back. Um, what really matters is, is, you know, we, we try to, um, use compassion, and understanding and, uh, trust, you know, our communities and our community members and, and and trust that we um that we're all doing the right thing in our own way and if that ends up um beating against somebody else's uh way of life then find the third choice find what's not going to cause you don't need to be so firm in your belief system that you're going to create uh, uh, an, uh, an unpleasant experience for other people when they go out into public or whatever. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the whole thing I've seen is the, the possibility to have a third choice. And when you said that it, it sprung that, uh, flickering in the light bulb in my brain, it was like so many times people were so ready to fight. They didn't consider that they didn't want that. Uh, they wanted it my way or no way. And that right. was on both sides all the time. Right. And um, totally. there has to be in a society where everyone thinks differently, feels differently. There has to be. We're getting lower on time, and I want to get to mm -hmm. a point where you can share sure. your links and stuff. But before we do that, I also want to play a, a game. It's the lightning round. I don't know if I told you about it. It's just like five oh, or no. six basic questions. Oh, okay. Uh, very benevolent. <laughs> and you don't have to answer <laughs> any if you don't want uh, sure. But before we get to that, I want to ask you one question. There's a lot of people in our community who say, well, if you're prepping for disaster, you know, if you're planning food because you don't think food will be there, aren't you basically attracting that to yourself? That's one of the main things I hear from a lot of people when mm -hmm. we talk about these things, sustainability. What, what do you say to that? So, um, so here's here's the here's the reason i it's the reasoning i'm doing it yes it, to a certain extent am i doing it to prepare for the end of the world uh not really no that is that is a a byproduct is uh yes i'll be able to survive if the world ends uh but i'm not preparing for the end of the world what i'm doing is i'm trying to uh take back my power by lessening my dependence on an outside source. And when you are um, growing vegetables in your garden um, that you're consuming, you're um, taking away your dependency on going to a store to get that. And that is in the vibration and frequency of sovereignty. It's also the health benefits that come from 
that connection that you make with your food by uh, nurturing it every day and um, having compassion and um, responsibility for a being, another life that's going to feed you in return. And uh, that energy loop is something that I've discovered over the years. Be, and most people don't know that energy even exists because they haven't grown their own food or grown plants. And um, it's amazing. It, it's, it's something that I'm actually spending more money right now, keeping my greenhouse heated um, through the winter so I can continue to grow my salads and greens and have that connection. Because for me, that connection is worth more than uh, what I can, what I'm getting from going to the grocery store and just getting the food. So, so there, it's not just to feed myself, so to say, you know, there's, there's so many other benefits to the energy and being in that frequency and that vibration that it's worth it. And I'm seeing, I'm also creating community because I'm having extra veggies and fresh veggies and, and things that I can share with my neighbors. And of course they love when they're receiving it and then they find in their way to give back, uh, not, you know, whether it's with exchanging vegetables and lemons and fruit things or, or, uh, or just, you know, doing a nice gesture or, you know, looking after the house while I'm out of town. Um, so it creates abundance and it creates this, um, the, it creates community by, uh, by having a greenhouse and, um, and also by, you know, just having the base, some basic necessities and food preparation. You don't have to like store enough to feed the whole, um, uh, neighborhood, but just having, you know, a, a month supply or a two week supply of basics, that's just common sense in any kind of disaster that's out of your control. And it's not, um, ushering in the disasters to take over, but it's, um, it's just being prepared in case something does happen and there are supply chain issues or a big weather event, or, you know, we're in volatile times. So I think, by having a two week supply of just water and the essentials, that's, yeah, you know, you know, didn't we learn that like in second grade or something? Yeah. <laughs> These are the basics. So anyways, uh, so that, hopefully that was a long winded answer to it. No, it's beautiful. Question. I actually love the, the answer and something I want to add to it too. Uh, when people approach me with the subject, I'm like, you know, we live on earth and earth isn't just the rainbows and love that we want it to be because we haven't created that yet. We're working on it, but we haven't. And right now there are still a spectrum of vibrations here from the most benevolent to the most malevolent and everything that's in between those. And all of that allows for co-creations to be wonky. You know, if I, if I give my heart and energy to creating something with another person and they have an imbalance, then something can go wrong for me because I'm playing the game with them too. So it's not just about what I'm doing in my own life. Uh, it's not what I'm only doing in my experience, but we're on the earth. The earth itself is a being that wants to go through what it needs to go through. So it's not just one person that's shifting everything even though it can be that it's it's a it's a big bottle of everything and we have to be able to to navigate that if that means getting extra food and having your comfort there and also getting all those benefits you just talked about you know connecting with the earth not being dependent on external entities mm -hmm. to supply it that's just added bonus so that's beautiful thank you brother 
Um, yeah. Oh, and I, and I'm so far from being completely sustainable. Like if the grocery store shut down, yeah, I'm, it, that's an oh shit moment for me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, 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 uh, it, it's, it's just doing what you can with what you have. So I've been, um, super blessed to have this, this lifestyle where I can do most of my work from home and, uh, I've had a little extra income over the years. So I was able to, uh, put time and energy in building a greenhouse and having a garden. You know, not everybody has that 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 capability. So it's just really about doing what you can with with what you have, and um, finding what your goals are. And and mine is just to be more connected to that energy of of sovereignty and um, and health. You know, good health because all the things that come with you know fresh greens and healthy soil and you know all that stuff. Yeah, and and the beautiful part about a community is you have a greenhouse. Maybe no one else does, but someone else knows how to hunt and fish. Another person knows how to, you know, get across the mountain without a vehicle. Another person, you know, mechanic, all of it. So that's a beautiful thing. Um, Let's go to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you some questions. Answer them or don't. That's fine. Uh, The first question, what's your favorite color? Green. Green, beautiful. And the reason for these questions is for people to get to know you more than just the interview with that guy or more than just the video game guy. <laughs> sure. However they know you, I want to get them to know you a little better. And also, guys, I forgot to tell you earlier, Kalina is with us here. Um, oh, hey, Kalina. She's just not moderating because she's doing uh, projects around the house, uh, trying to do our own stuff here. So she says she loves you guys and she's here, but she's just listening. But uh, okay, so yeah, miss you, Kalina. Love you too. Oh, uh, she's waving at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what is your favorite food? Uncle, can you describe that? I heard of <laughs> it's, it's it's a uh, Japanese green. It's a Japanese paste that they put in, um, like a sweet bean paste that they put in pastries. Ooh, yes, yes. I, I've had some <laughs> of those. Uh, the little uh, fluffy doughy balls with the bean paste in the middle. That, that's it. The bean paste. Yeah. Oh God, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. The Japanese know how to make sweets, man. I'm telling yeah. you. Um, okay. So what is your favorite place to be in nature simply just for the beauty and experience of it? anywhere in the world you've been? What's your favorite place to just sit around in nature? Uh place called Mitsutoge near Mount Fuji, Japan. Yeah, I've heard a lot of things about the beauty of Mount Fuji. I I hope one day I'll be able to see it with my own two eyeballs. That'll be beautiful. I'd love Um, to take you out there. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We should. We should go. Um, What is your favorite song and or band? Uh, Okay, uh, Ziggurat's. I've not heard of that. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> there, it's an Icelandic band. Very, uh, uh, f- they they use a lot of um, natural sounds and mix it in with some electric stuff. It's fun. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, I'll have to check that. If you send me a link later, that'd be great. Sure. Um, last question: What's your favorite childhood memory? Uh, <laughs> uh, I just posted on Twitter. This is probably not the most, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I used to be a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, 
basically everything Japanese. And uh, before I realized it was Japanese, I just I was watching all these shows, and it took me a couple of years to sort of add it all up. But um, one of the first shows I really enjoyed as a kid was Spectrum Man. And if you don't know what Spectrum Man is, go to my Twitter page and you'll see. I think it's the last episode of Spectrum Man. It's a, it's a Japanese kind of a Power Ranger kind of show. Okay. Yeah, I don't think oh, I've seen that. Yeah, it was fun. So I'm watching it today. These days, I was just watching the other day. A clip popped up, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this was so awesome when I was a kid. I love this." There's yeah. back all kinds of nostalgia. Oh, I bet I was a Voltron kid too. I love that. Oh show. yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, Voltron was that was <laughs> that was definitely there for sure. That was one of the best. So before I get get the opportunity to let everybody know how to get a hold of you, how to find your work, how to integrate in communicating with you or maybe, you know, asking you how to help uh, with their own communities, whatever the case they want to communicate with you about. I want to tell you, first of all, thank you for what you do. Uh, the interview Ed, with Ed uh, Extra Dimensionals has been a huge part of our community. It's really gotten a lot of our channeling out to a lot of people whose lives have been bettered by that. Um, and everything you've done since and before you always put your heart into it. As a person, you're legitimately uh, one of the best people I know who who really cares about what they do and, and who cares to put the energy behind it simply just to help other people. And I really love that about you. Uh, Thanks, brother. And yeah, I love you, brother. And I, I'm glad that we've got to meet in this life. And I'm even happier that we've got to be friends for as long as we have. So thank you for coming on tonight and sharing your heart with everybody. Oh, anytime. I'm glad, glad you, you had me on and, uh, we definitely, the, the more we can do this, the merrier, um, the, you know, I've got all my websites, which is just my first name and last name, rubenlingdon.com. Um, interview with Ed is probably interview, interview with ed.org. All one word, um, is probably the best way to find me. And on that, uh, platform, we have this new membership portal, which you came to on as an early guest and uh it's been going good we every week we get uh it's i call it interview with ed 2.0 and uh we get um a lot of the original cast <laughs> including yourself of uh interview with ed <laughs> the different shows uh pop on for a, um, a uh, sunday zoom call and um they're you know not as polished as the tv show and and definitely um uh, you know, the raw and unedited, but it's an opportunity for the viewers and the members to ask questions. And it's been, it's been going good. You know, you, you got to be on er, super early on, but uh, we've been doing it, keeping it going and it's, we've been building the community and it's, it's fun. It's fun to share every week and see familiar faces and, um, and work on diff ask different questions, but working on similar concepts and ideas so oh there's charmaine she's she's part of what yeah <laughs> she is she's like membership portal is where it's at you um yeah so, there's a good group of people there yeah yeah so definitely come hang out with us over there and uh yeah that's about i got you know twitter instagram and facebook and all that stuff but really i'm i'm most active on twitter right now as uh mr musk has um decided not to be so censorship um crazy you know he's being a little more friendly to freedom of speech so i feel it's a good place for me to express myself and post uh different you know uh ed related things and 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 um uh just general 
general news things I, that I share, stuff I'm interested in. Well, that's beautiful, brother. And I did put all the links except for your Instagram in there, and uh, I'll add that here in a little bit. Uh, so thank you, brother. Everybody go check out uh, Ruben's stuff on all of his platforms. It's great stuff. Uh, you can find all the links down below except for Instagram, but we'll get that up. Uh, and I wanted to remind all of you guys uh, both, uh, first of all, thank you guys for being so active in the chat tonight. It's beautiful. All of you guys from the Matrix Mind Media is great. All of you from YouTube is great. And I just wanted to remind all of you guys to go pop in and check out the Matrix Mind Media. The link is in the description on Facebook. Uh, and there's a YouTube channel as well, but the link's below. Uh, he's going live tonight in about 30 minutes from now. So go check that out, guys. They're going to be talking about the astral realms and the many states of the astral realm. I'll be there hanging out in the chat, too. Uh, so join us over there if you guys haven't had a chance to see that show. It's amazing. Great group of people. Great community. Uh, thanks again, brother. I, I appreciate you. I love you. Uh, we'll definitely do this again. And I'll be over on your uh, platform, too, when we, we'll get some times to get set up. Uh, so thanks awesome. again, brother. I appreciate it. And thank all of you guys who joined us. We will be here next week with Adam and Megan Homan and the week after with Mama Minga. We're here every week on the Enlightenment Evolution, our Facebook page, the Media Matrix Minds Facebook page, and of course, ET Whisper YouTube channel every Wednesday, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern at 7 Pacific. The Enlightenment Evolution Hour is a part of the Enlightenment Evolution Network, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Love you guys, and bye. We're in a matrix. We're in a matrix. We're in a matrix.